You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, and every week, myself and my co-host, Dr. Mike, bring to you the information that doctors are talking about in doctors' lounges all across the country so that we can prepare you and arm you with the information that you need so that you can advocate for yourself and for your family regarding the health care issues that you all face. This show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is the only physician-led, physician-run health care think tank in the country. Our Website is wwd the number four pcfoundation.org. That's d4pcfoundation.org. Go to the website, read the things that are on there that we're writing about and that we're putting up there. This will help you to understand why it's important to support what we're doing and to um, and to uh, allow us to bring this show to you every week and to do all the work that we're doing outside of this show, which is very, very critical, very important, and actually right now very timely. The issues that we stand for are being discussed in um, legislatures all over the country, and we have been pushing this for the last decade, and we're seeing the fruits of our labor come uh, to uh, bear fruit. Um, the um, where we are focusing on direct primary care, which is being discussed in, and and bills passed around the country. We're talking about certificate of need, which is uh, laws that allow monopolies, um, the hospital monopolies, to flourish and and prevent competition. We're talking about. Um, about things that affect physicians, which is their maintenance of certification and and other issues that now people are actually standing up and taking notice and, and laws are being passed to uh, uh, try to help people who are being hurt by the special interests and the, the predatory um, practices of these special interests. So go to our website, support us, and uh, and give generously. Um, Five dollars or five thousand dollars, no amount is too small or too big, and we really need your help so we can continue to do our work. Uh, you know, every um, week I come here, or, or Dr. Mike comes here with uh, a specific topic, and we we. Um, we we focus on that. This is the format of this show, and it's been really a, a very great format. It's an opportunity to develop a thought and not have to just deal with a sound bite and move on. And it's been the, I think the um, really the special allure of this show to be able to um, do something like that. But what struck me is that healthcare issues are all around us. They're in the news every single week. And in the weeks between our shows, there's so much that is out there in healthcare that just goes over people's head or they don't know about or they are um, confused about because the issue is really not being explained well enough 
in the media or in, in mainstream or social media. So what I thought that I would do today and um, from time to time is try to unpackage news items in healthcare and try to put um, this in some perspective for people because there's just so much out there and I and um, and I think that this is going to really be um, a a great public service and it's going to be something that people will get a lot out of and I hope that. Um, if you like what I'm going to be talking about today, throwing around different uh, items, I would uh, love it if you would just send us uh, s- some of your feedback. You can do this at the Doctor's Lounge at AmericasWebRadio.com, and uh, and I'm I'm really um, looking forward to uh, reading what you might write because I think that this is going to be really good stuff and an important show. And you can actually, the best way to reach me is um, Dr. Hal at AmericasWebRadio.com. And, and I, I really hope that you'll, you'll uh, take me up on that and let me know. So um, this week, um, just, just actually yesterday, um, the Center for uh, Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, issued a request for information to solicit recommendations on how to eliminate regulatory, operational, and financial barriers to enhance insurance companies' abilities to sell coverage across state lines. If you'll remember, President Trump campaigned on um, being able to sell insurance across state lines, opening it up to insurance companies so that it would make it easier for people to purchase insurance and then travel with their insurance to keep it with them. And uh, in the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, um, Section 1333 specifically allows for this. They allow states to enter into what's called compacts, to get together and decide how they're going to cooperate with each other in healthcare initiatives. In this case, um, being able to um, allow insurance from one state to be sold in the, in their state. If uh, if we're in Georgia, where I live, if it, um, Alabama came to me and they have a, their own insurance commissioner and their own insurance regulations, as does Georgia. Our insurance commissioners could get together and say, okay, this is, we will recognize your stuff in Georgia. You recognize our stuff in Alabama. And that is what a compact is. So this is not just for doctors. This is for anybody who has an idea about how to facilitate this, how to make this better. It could be a business person. It could be a broker. It could be a healthcare professional of any sort. It, it could be a, a, a housewife who has a good idea. But this is your opportunity to reach out and to send something to um, CMS. Their website is cms.gov. You just go or you Google it and you can just get on. You'll see that they have a 60-day window for an RFI, uh, a, uh, a request for information. So I would, I would highly encourage everybody who has some thoughts about how this po- is possible 
to go ahead and uh, and take that opportunity and share your views with CMS. They're reading everything. So uh, so I think that uh, doctors who think they know better take advantage of this. People who want to participate, I would do that as well. Another item that has really um, been in the news, something that we've talked about on this show, and we had um, a guest on um, a few shows ago. We had Dr. Lane Palmer from the Society for Pediatric Urology. We talked about the um, the intersex bills. Well, this is springing up like whack-a-mole around the country. You know, it was just California and Nevada. They were, and just to put this into perspective for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, there are um, people who are born with an uh, with unusual um, genitalia. And I'm a pediatric urologist. This is something that I know a lot about. And um, and in the past, many of these children were gender converted as infants because we didn't know what they were. And that doesn't happen anymore. But there are a lot of disgruntled individuals who feel that their their assigned sex is wrong for their brain. They feel like they're men trapped in a woman's body or vice versa, and they've been gender converted, and they're very outspoken, and they are um, angry, and they are militant, and they've created uh, a movement to try to stop any of this surgery. Well, um, uh, newsflash, most of that surgery in children has already been stopped by our specialty. We don't do that. We recognize that that was the way that pediatric urologists felt about this issue in the 1960s and in the 1970s and even in the 1980s. And we've stopped doing this because we knew that we weren't getting it completely right. And so we've policed ourselves, but there are still children who get surgery on their genitalia as infants for other reasons, not intersex, but other reasons. And these militants are trying to conflate these conditions with intersex. And so they're trying to pass laws in in states all around the country. They're trying to stop genital surgery in babies who are born with abnormal genitalia. And this is absolutely just it's 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 harmful it's unscientific it is intrusive into parents rights to seek out the best care for their patients it's like trying to tell a parent who has a child with a cleft lip or with a club foot which are birth defects that they can't get those problems corrected in their children in their babies because we need to let them be who they are and let them decide when they're older whether they want the surgery or not. That is absolutely ludicrous. And the same is true with children who have genital abnormalities. But nonetheless, you get these militant groups that are that are trying to conflate genital surgery with gender reassignment and intersex and it is a perfect storm with legislators who don't understand what these issues are and listen to these people and say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. We should stop this. And they try to equate it with the female genital mutilation that we've talked about on this show, which is something that is 
abhorrent, it's reprehensible, and something that pediatric urologists have stood up against since these patients started showing up on our doorstep back in the 1980s. So now we've got intersex bills in in, uh, Iowa, in Texas, in Connecticut. They're just popping up, and it is important for people to understand what this is really intended to do, and um, it's important for people to look out for this. And if you uh, actually are in a state that is trying to introduce this legislation, you need to understand that this is not um, surgery that is trying to do anything bad for these children. These are doctors who are very committed to children and taking care of them, like myself. And you need to contact your legislators in these states and tell them, no, they need to stop meddling in these issues because they don't understand what they are. And we'll, we'll see what happens. This is uh, Every week we're hearing about another state that is uh, introducing new legislation. These groups are very well funded by George Soros and uh, other um, uh, extreme leftist groups. So let's turn, you know, we're going to, we're going to come into a hard break right now, but we've got a lot of things in the news uh, that we're going to cover in the next segment. We're going to talk about the um, lawsuit that's been filed against Blue Cross Blue Shield or Anthem, formerly Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, in Georgia. So good stuff. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We're back in the doctor's lounge. Today we're talking about healthcare in the news, and we've got a bunch of stuff to unpack for you in healthcare. Um, tell me if you like this new feature at Dr. Hal. Uh, it's Dr. Hal at America's Web Radio.com. I'm 
really interested to see if there are uh, any any uh, if anybody's listening, and if uh, if you like this this format of unpackaging news items regarding healthcare because there's quite a few. The next one I wanted to cover is the uh, lawsuit that's been filed in Atlanta on behalf of a number of plaintiffs who were duped by Anthem, formerly Blue Cross Blue Shield. Um, they, um, Anthem re-entered the Obamacare exchanges. They, um, they uh, left the individual market outside of Obamacare um, uh, two years ago, and uh, it and there's a giant gaping hole in coverage for a lot of people, and they felt that there was a market for them to come back in the exchange to uh, recapture a, a, a book of business, people who were out there. So they created a, a, an HMO product, and they, um, they uh, advertised it, but unfortunately they falsely advertised it and they they duped the the public in, in uh, into signing up with them they gave they gave blatantly false information they lied to the public they told the public that their panel was more extensive than it was both for doctors and for hospitals um, they they told them that they would have Emory Hospital which is a giant an academic uh, um, institution here in in Atlanta that they would be in their panel. They told the public that Wellstar, which is one of the large players here in Georgia in Atlanta, um, would be in their panel. They neither of them are. They told patients that they would not need referrals if they. Uh, signed up that they could go see a specialist and then they signed up and oops they couldn't see a specialist without going through their primary care doctor for a referral and they've limited their network they have a narrow network to control their costs so these people who needed to go see their specialists who they have been seeing for years couldn't get in to see their specialists because they couldn't get in to see a primary care doctor. They had to change their primary care doctor. So these, this is deceptive marketing on the part of the insurers, and this is not the only example, but this is the glaring example that is right now being challenged, and, uh, and you should stay tuned because this is uh, going to be big news about what insurance companies say and do and how they behave. And people are being harmed by it. There was a patient here in Atlanta who was um, a uh, cardiac transplant, a heart transplant patient who was getting all their care at Emory, the only place that does heart transplants. The cardiologist was at Emory. They couldn't get in to see their doctor, and they um, almost had a fatal complication because they couldn't get in to see their specialist. So this is the kind of this. These decisions actually kill patients. They hurt patients, and this is you know one of the this is one of the big three of the special interests that 
are basically um, destroying health care. It's insurance, pharmacy, hospitals. Big three special interests of the three-legged stool that are responsible for health care being so expensive and for it uh, and for your uh, uh, health care issues becoming worse and worse. Speaking of pharmacy and drugs, then um, Scott Gottlieb um, resigned two days ago as the uh, chief of the FDA on March 5th. Scott is an old friend um, of ours. Um, he was um, one of the medical on the advisory board of American Enterprise Institute. Uh, very entrepreneurial, very smart, very uh, well connected guy. He was pegged by the Trump administration to head the FDA. It was um, viewed as as a good thing because Scott was a uh, a very smart and knowledgeable guy. What's interesting <clears throat> is that he has advocated for developing new drugs and for regulation, um, which is good. But on the flip side, what I find very interesting, and I'm not sure that I know the full story just yet, is that pharma, uh, big pharma and biotech, that whole sector, is actually sorry to see him go. So I don't really, I can't square that circle. Um, why, why that's so? Um, the, the people who are commenting from that sector claim that he made it easier for them to work with the FDA. So I don't know if that's a good thing or not. But we will see how things develop as far as the FDA is concerned with a new person. We don't have any idea who that new person is, but um, some names have been thrown out there. And in a related story to Scott Gottlieb um, stepping down and his support for um, pharma and biotech, he's been a staunch supporter of innovation. And I don't know if anybody's paid attention to this, but the but Apple um, has developed a, a new app for its iPhones. I'm sorry, for its iWatches, and it is a cardiology app. It is a feature that um, uh, detects atrial fibrillation, which is an irregular heartbeat. And atrial fibrillation is an important condition that usually affects older patients. Um, it can be associated with stroke because of throwing blood clots and, um, and, and even sudden death. So it's an important condition. People who suffer from atrial fibrillation um, very often have fainting spells or they're dizzy and, uh, or lightheaded, and they um, very often, once diagnosed, require a pacemaker. So this is, this is a very important condition to diagnose and, and, and treat. And um, in order for this feature to get approved for the Apple Watches, it had to go through FDA approval. Well, there are a lot of critics out there who believe that that FDA approval came way too quickly and way too easily. And this falls on Scott Gottlieb. Um, Specifically, the cardiology, uh, the American Association of Cardiology, of cardiologists 
are concerned about this. And the reason why they're concerned about this is because they've approved this without Apple actually having to show performance data regarding this feature. And why is that important? Well, it's important because um, if you have a test that is not what we call sensitive and specific, it's got to be able to pick up things when they're there, and it's got to be able to pick up things that are there without um, falsely identifying other problems, specificity and sensitivity. Um, this is this is uh, um, what the cardiology world is concerned about, and they're concerned about it because who purchases these eye watches? Well, mostly people who are younger, mostly people who are wealthier and who are healthier. These are the people who actually don't really suffer from atrial fibrillation, but yet this feature will identify people with this condition when they really don't have it or it is not significant. It may be a little abnormal, but it wouldn't be a clinically significant problem. So this would lead to unnecessary testing and possibly even unnecessary treatment. So it's important to have um, cutting-edge technology out there, but we have to look at how it's being used and whether or not it actually is um, doing what we intended to do, whether it is providing a valuable service or it may be more harmful than good. The jury is still out on this feature on the Apple Watches. Something very interesting, a couple of shows back, um, if you go into your archives, you'll remember that we had a show with Dr. Chip Harbaugh, pediatrician uh, from Atlanta, an expert from the American Academy of Pediatrics, and we talked about um, childhood vaccinations and the measles outbreak, the measles epidemic. Well, this week, Ethan Lindenberger an 18-year-old high school student got vaccinated against his mother's wishes. Well, he got vaccinated after he turned 18. But this week, Ethan testified before the Senate Help Committee on a hearing about vaccine-preventable diseases. And this is just an, a, uh, a, an incredible story because his mother was a fierce opponent of childhood vaccinations. And yet Ethan was concerned enough about his potential exposure to chicken pox and to hepatitis that he, on his own, went out and got vaccinated in defiance of his mother. And so he was questioned by the Senate Help Committee. Senator Johnny Isaacson, senator from Georgia, Um, asked him um, some questions. He wanted to know where his mother got most of her information, and he replied, mostly online, mostly on Facebook. And then he followed that question up 
with another one. He said, well, where did you get your information, Ethan? And he said, well, not on Facebook. He got it from the CDC. He got it from the World Health Organization. And he got it from other accredited sources. And he went on to testify as a young individual who really did his homework and went um, outside of the social media world, which his mother lives in. He said that what's missing is reaching out to young people and older people, parents, so that they get their information from stories or from data, rather, instead of from stories. And that really is is what the take-home message is. So stay with us. Next next uh, segment, we're going to talk a little bit about Certificate of Need news. Okay, so stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back in the Doctor's Lounge. Today, we are introducing a new feature in the Doctor's Lounge, which is healthcare in the news. Rather than sitting on one topic and and uh, developing it for an hour, I'm uh, throwing out um, uh, news items that are healthcare related that have been in the news over the last couple of weeks and trying to unpackage them for everybody so you understand what is being discussed and uh, why these issues are important. So certificate of need news. So we talk about certificate of need on this show all the time. It is the sanctioned monopoly that states allow to exist which permits hospitals um, the ability to keep their competition out of a marketplace and preserve their monopoly and their ability to charge um, fees for um, services that are way above what the fees actually should be. And they justify doing um, uh, having these laws in place so that they can um, uh, continue to provide the services 
that they claim only they can provide that would otherwise not be able to be provided. Screening services for the poor or for the elderly, for certain medical conditions, free care, etc., etc. And these these are the the um, tired old arguments that are no longer valid in 2019 like they were in 1970. Now that individuals have to pay an increasingly larger and larger portion of their health care bills. And health care is not something that should be that expensive, but it is. there's no appetite or very little appetite in many places around the country to try to reverse that trend. Reversing that trend takes some some guts and some hard decisions to stand up to the special interests. And that's what's happening with trying to fight these certificate of need laws. And what was encouraging was that this is happening in states around the country that previously have been resistant to even talking about it. And the Florida legislature opened um, two days ago, and um, the speaker, Jose um, Oliva, um, promised that they would pass a comprehensive health care program in this session. And he said that no single policy will be the solution. It's going to require multiple bills that look at health care. And among this will be the repeal of certificate of need, which has stifled competition and led to skyrocketing prices. And he said that he will empower patients to be active participants in their health care choices through health savings accounts and ensure that there is price transparency. And he'll make it clear that a patient's medical record belongs to them. And he'll make sure that Floridians can purchase medications at prices that the rest of the world purchases purchases them at. Now, that's a very ambitious um, slate of... uh, of ideas and uh, goals that uh, he hopes to accomplish in this session. But even if they can accomplish one, which is repeal of certificate of need, that would be very important and a great step in helping to reduce health care costs. There are a number of uh, people who are behind this in Florida, specifically the people who are uh, the docs for patient care people, Dr. Lee Gross in Northport, Florida, who is one of the founders of the direct primary care movement and who is um, uh, very active in uh, Tallahassee in Florida politics and talks to the people there on a regular basis. He's trying to get a hospital built in his community. His community, Northport, Florida, is the only community in Florida. It's the largest community in Florida that does not have a hospital. And the reason it doesn't is because of certificate of need. And this is something that is just, um, you know, ridiculous that, that, uh, people who want a hospital can't have one, um, because the competition is blocking it. And that's what happens in certificate of need laws. The, um, existing hospitals can, um, can challenge 
a uh, a, a group, a, a an entity's um, attempt to build something, because once the certificate of need is is uh, process is started, it gets to um, be challenged by any any existing entities within a certain geographic area, and that's that's what needs to stop. And it this this movement is is um, really taking off in other states. It's in Georgia right now. There's there's bills in the state legislature. And I wrote an op-ed not long ago that really uh, set off a a, a firestorm among some of the uh, boardrooms and some hospitals in the uh, Atlanta area because I I really uh, just presented facts. Now, they'll say that my facts are my facts and not real facts, but I don't think that there's such a thing as my facts or your facts. Facts are facts. And the fact is that certificate of need laws actually can kill patients. And I've given this example before about the uh, hospital in uh, Virginia that uh, could not get a neonatal intensive care unit nor an ambulance because both of those require certificate of need and baby died in in one of these hospitals because of that. So people actually die because there is a lack of availability of resources because they're controlled by hospitals that don't want the competition. I I was asked to participate in a uh, in the case in the uh, case that's being presented in the Eighth Circuit in Iowa um, that is challenging certificate of need and docs for patient care filed an amicus brief there and uh, the uh, the the um, plaintiffs. Um, were the doctor who wanted to open up an ophthalmology uh, surgery center and couldn't. And the, the defendant, the, the state of Iowa, they got the hospital association there to rebut the docs for patient care amicus brief, which was so, so laughable, th- th- trying to portray what we're saying as self, as self-serving when in fact it's the hospitals that are the self-serving ones. And this is the tactics that, that special interests and the left uses. They, they try to, um, impute, um, or, or assign characteristics that they themselves have to their adversaries. And this is exactly what's happened in this uh, certificate of need fight in Iowa. So stay tuned. We'll see if uh, we get a certificate of need uh, statute uh, struck down in, in any state around the country. You should examine your state and see whether or not you've got certificate of need laws in place. If you do, that most likely is the reason your health care um, costs are so high in your state, and you should really try to inform yourself and uh, get active with that. So let's talk about the third rail item that I try to stay away from because it is a, just a, a hard um, issue to discuss. Um, but this one is not hard. Uh, last week, the Senate was unable to pass a bill called the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. And um, 
it is uh, a bill that would have provided protection for babies who survived an abortion attempt. And only three Democratic senators voted for it, which means that 44 Democratic senators felt that it was okay to murder a baby after it was born. Just, just take, just absorb that for a minute. 44 senators thought it's okay to kill a baby after birth, which is just absolutely startling that we've gotten to this point. It has nothing to do with promoting the care of the mother because the baby is no longer in the mother at that point. This is infanticide. It is killing of a baby. And whether or not you believe in in um, cho- in choice for women, if you're pro-choice, or or whether or not you're a sta- staunch anti-abortion person, you know this is not what we're talking about here. Because we can we can have that conversation. It's a debate. It's the third rail. Where whether or not you think life begins at conception, or whether or not you think it's okay to do uh, first trimester abortion or not. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a th- a baby that has been born that people are advocating killing. And I just don't understand this. I don't get this. And it is where the Democratic Party is being drawn to today by the radical left. The radical left is the single most dangerous um, movement that we've ever seen in this country. The radical left stands for killing babies after they're born. They stand for arming illegal aliens. They couldn't get a gun law passed in this country that prohibited illegal aliens from owning drugs. The Democrats refused to vote for that provision. They feel it's okay for them to have guns. They stand for anti-Semitism. This is the Democrat Party today. And I think that that uh, if anybody believes that they can resurrect the Democratic Party, I think that it is um, a, a delusion because this is a house that has been so infested with with ideas that are so anti-American against the fabric of who we are that this cannot be fixed. This, these, these people cannot be um, dr- driven out of your party. This is where you've, be, where you've been drawn to. And I don't like talking about politics on this show, but this is, you know, uh, unfortunately where we're at. This is the way that these people are thinking which segues into where we're going with the next news item, which is their unveiling of the new Medicare for All Act of 2019. It was unveiled last week, and it's a comprehensive bill to abolish abolish virtually all private health care plans, including employer-sponsored coverage. It imposes federal control over every aspect of America's health care. 
Bob Moffitt, who is the Senior Fellow for Domestic Policy uh, Studies, Healthcare Policy at the Heritage Foundation, wrote about this, and he will actually be our guest in two weeks to unpackage this specific item and discuss this for an hour. He wrote that this legislation is profoundly authoritarian. For example, in Section 107 of this Act, it ensures that no American, regardless of their personal wants or medical needs, would be able to enroll in any alternative health care plan that duplicates the government coverage. The, the cost of this is, is unbelievable. It is $32 trillion dollars over a 10-year period, and we cannot even make that number work because it will be far, far greater than that, as every estimate is from the CBO. And I'll talk about the CBO in just a second. But we're going to finish up with a couple of other items in the last segment, so stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Please join us at 4 p.m. on Tuesday afternoons. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We're back in the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Hal, your host, and we are uh, finishing up with healthcare items in the news, things that you need to know that I'm trying to unpack for you. And I finished last segment talking about the Medicare for All Act of 2019, which was unveiled last week, and um, it is uh, a real winner, this plan. And uh, in in four weeks, I'm going to uh, have on the show, I'm trying to get him, one of my dear friends who is going to uh, hopefully tie together physician burnout and single-payer health care. He is Canadian who practiced in the U.S. for years, and he is really having uh, problems coming back to Canada with their single-payer health care because he knows how good American health care um, is and how, um, how limiting and how challenging the Canadian single-payer system 
uh, turns out to be. And I want to really, he is not a conservative guy at all. And I think he would be a great um, guest so that we can really talk about what single payer means to doctors and to patients because it's going to destroy, destroy healthcare in this country if if this gets put into place the people who advocate for this are children they they think like infants they don't use their brains they use their heart their emotions but they are not thinking through the problems and what i want to try to get to bob moffitt about my guest in 2 weeks who is an expert on this is what do these people actually think they're going to do for their health care? Because you got to think that they think that they're better and exempt. You know, we see the things that they are so um, are so critical of uh, of mainstream U.S. or the 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 quote entitled U.S. citizens with wealth or with privilege. These people. Are, are the privileged class themselves with Bernie Sanders, who has three houses, or um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who now is, there's a, a uh, information about corruption, about how she funneled money, maybe a million dollars, to her boyfriend. So these people who, who tell us how horrible our, our society is, it's do as I say, not as I do. These people don't want to live by the rules that they want you all to live by, and they can't believe that they think they're going to live by these health care rules. So I want to see what Bob Moffitt has to say about that. Their estimates for this program at $32 trillion is is a, uh, a far, far underestimate of what it likely will be. Did I say thirty-two? It's thirty-two trillion dollars over ten years. You know, when they when Medicare came out in nineteen sixty-four, they said that this would be, you know, probably you know no more than five billion dollars. And within ten years, it was over a hundred billion dollars, and now it's over five hundred and fifty billion dollars. So. They get these estimates wrong on a regular basis. Specifically, the Congressional Budget Office, the CBO, people who are paying attention to what's going on in Washington with any time that something gets proposed, the CBO weighs in so that they could put a dollar figure to it. But we give so much importance, so much credence to the CBO and really, is that truly, um, uh, is it, is it confidence that is well founded? Is there a basis for us really believing what the CBO tells us? Well, nine years after Obamacare passed, this, uh, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, reported that the CBO estimates were way off the mark and were manufactured. And that, if you remember, the attempts to try to defeat Obamacare and to then overturn Obamacare um, were um, defeated because of scare tactics coming out of the CBO, where they said that the repeal of Obamacare or elimination of the 
the the Obamacare mandate for participation would result in 22 million Americans being thrown off their health care plans. Well, this information, it turns out, was completely wrong and it was fabricated. It was leaked out of the CBO and to CMS. And CMS reported a Last week, uh, they released a report that stated that these CBO estimates were wildly overinflated, and the number of people who actually would lose their insurance if Obamacare was overturned was not was not really people who would lose their insurance. Most of those people are people who would choose to opt out. And the the number of people who would actually lose their insurance was just 2.5 million people who were expected to get thrown off their insurance. So the CBO's faulty estimates were directly responsible for misleading the public and leading them to believe that repealing Obamacare would lead to a vast increase in the number of uninsured. Now, there are people who have questioned whether or not the CBO even needs to exist and whether or not there are insiders in the CBO, just like there are in other parts of our government, that have an agenda that is contrary to the will of those who are leading in Washington or the will of the American people. And... I think those are very valid concerns, and I I, uh, I think that there are enough people now who are asking the question, should the CBO be checked? Um, should the checkers be checked? And I, I uh, would have to agree that based on this uh, new report that CMS released leaking out uh, CBO data, that uh, the checkers in Washington cannot be believed, and they're going to, uh, before any kind of uh, um, uh, reports are given regarding dollars or numbers um, vis-a-vis um, policies or bills, that the, these uh, numbers are verified by an independent outside agency that uh, that both sides, the Democrats and Republicans, can agree to. So um, that is uh, really something that that uh, w- those of us who were were uh, against Obamacare knew these numbers were incorrect. We knew that they were inflated or contrived, and we just couldn't prove it. And now we can. So you know, I think that uh, once again. The Washington swamp has uh, has uh, sucked in, you know, yet another aspect of uh, of what what uh, uh, we are dealing with on a daily basis. So, the last thing that I wanted to talk about is really something that that I came across that just absolutely blew my mind, and this is just a sign. That of the apocalypse, um, you know, the New England Journal of Medicine has always been viewed as really the the source for 
um, for adult thought for whether it was in um, in medical studies that they were publishing and they would go ahead and they would have um, you know data that we could rely on or editorials that were um, thought provoking that perhaps you didn't necessarily agree with but at least at least were somewhat thoughtful and they were reasonable well i think that the new england journal of medicine has gone off the deep end they this is a, a true sign of the apocalypse that we are on the brink of something that we've never seen before and you know, I know that all platforms, New England Journal of Medicine is no exception. Um, they have uh, digital platforms. They have um, a blog. They've got a Twitter feed. On their Twitter feed this week, a doctor, Dr. Deborah Cohen, I couldn't find out very much about her, but she's an MD and a, and a Master's of Public Health. And I'm going to quote what she wrote on the New England Journal of Medicine feed because I don't think that this is has any place in a medical journal, and I certainly um, could not disagree with her more. So she writes, quote, I am a racist, shaped by the sometimes subtle tendrils of white supremacy deeply embedded in our culture. I mean this not as a sanctimonious admission of guilt, but as a call to self-reflection and action for us white physicians. Not dealing with our racism is a manifestation of our privilege and reinforces a system that allows white physicians to dip into the waters of self-inquiry only when it feels safe. We have we have sunk to new levels, ladies and gentlemen. This is this is just absolute there's no role for this in medicine and anybody who believes that they're a racist and they're taking care of patients should quit. They should turn in their medical license and just go do something else because there is no place for that in medicine in this country and the people that I deal with are this is the furthest from their mind and shame on Dr. Cohen for bringing this into the medical realm because there's no place for this and maybe she is a racist but you know this is something that very few doctors in my opinion are so I hope that you enjoyed news items in uh, healthcare news items in the news and uh, and I thank you for allowing me to unpack them for you and we'll do this again at some point in the future in the doctor's lounge thanks for being with us you're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.